morning, everyone. Uh, hi. I'm going to be bringing us the third and last message this morning on verses that changed my life. I'm just going to set myself up here, if you could bear with me for one second, please. Okay. There are two things about our topic I believe are important that I'd like to clarify first of all this morning. By the way, my name's Janelle. If I haven't met you before, um, it's so great to be able to still meet together this morning in this way. So two things about our topic, um, verses that changed my life that I'd like to clarify. And the first one is that it is God who changes our lives. Bible verses won't change our life unless we open our hearts to God himself speaking to us through them. As Oswald Chambers says, the vital relationship which the Christian has to the Bible is not that he worships the letter, but that the Holy Spirit makes the words of the Bible spirit and life to him. The second important thing that I'd like to say before we get into my sharing this morning is that change is continuous. I'm going to be talking today about one period of time in my life when God changed me forever. But God's spirit is constantly changing us as we choose to believe his word and obey the promptings of his spirit within us. One everyday example of him changing my life through a Bible verse is from the other day when I was worrying about something. Here at home, I opened up my calendar, which has a Bible verse on it for every day. And the Bible verse for that day caught my eye. It was, set your mind on things above. In that moment of time, God changed my life, even though it was in a very small way, by gently impressing upon me to turn my mind to him with the problem that I was having. He's constantly readjusting our personal worldview and subsequently our very identity to line up with who he is and who he has created us to be. And we read this in 2 Corinthians 3. And so we are transfigured, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Now that those two important things have been clarified, I'd like to move on now with the series verses that changed my life. So far, we've heard from Job two weeks ago, sharing how Philippians 3, 7 to 14 has impacted her life. Joe shared how God changes our perspective on things we once had confidence in, that he uses our past experiences, that we gain more than we lose by being his, and that life is a journey in which we're encouraged to keep straining forwards rather than dwelling in the past. 
then Josh shared last week on God as a firm foundation for us to set our lives upon. Also on God as an active and loving father and that our strength and power are in him. Now my sharing today is from this passage that Greg has read for us. Acts 26, 9 to 18. The passage which Joe shared from two weeks ago was written by the Apostle Paul and today's passage is again about Paul. Specifically, this is Paul retelling what happened to him when he became a Christian. He is talking to King Agrippa in a courtroom. The reason this passage is important to me is because there are three parallels between Paul's salvation experience and my own that I'm going to share. You'll hear me calling Paul Saul sometimes. This is because God changed his name from Saul to Paul following his salvation as a sign of Paul's brand new identity in God. So whether I say Saul or Paul, I'm talking about the same person. Could you pray with me now, please, as I start my sharing? Holy Spirit, as Greg said at the start of our service, thank you that you are with us now. Thank you for your word, Father, that brings life as we open our hearts to you. Could you move through your word now? to touch our hearts, please, Father. In Jesus' name, we're asking this. Amen. The passage starts with Paul saying to the king, I too, meaning just like you, King Agrippa, I, Paul, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did. I put the Lord's people in prison. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them, I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Unlike Paul, I wasn't actively persecuting Christians prior to my salvation. But like Saul, I was doing something that I wasn't aware was wrong. This is the first parallel that makes this passage special to me. Saul thought he was doing the right thing by persecuting God's people. He was fighting for righteousness. Like Saul, I had my own idea of what was right. The problem was that other people weren't falling into line with it. What I needed to do was allow God to align myself with him. One Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, says this, there is not a more violent principle in the world than conscience misinformed. This is what was happening with both Saul and myself prior to our salvation experiences. Our consciences were misinformed. We thought we were doing the right thing. 
we see Saul realising that what he'd been doing was actually sin in these next verses, verses 12 to 14. He says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. About noon, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What we see happening here is Jesus encountering Saul. Back in Acts chapter 9, when this happened, we see that Saul actually became blind at this point. He couldn't see. What completely amazes me here in verse 14 is Jesus' other-centeredness and his grace. He says to Saul, it is hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. This is the key sentence for me in this whole passage. To kick against the goads means to resist being led. This was a common expression in these times because goads were thin pieces of timber that farmers used to move their oxen in the way they wanted them to go when they were out in the field. If an ox resisted by kicking against the goad instead of moving forwards, it would hurt itself. It was up to the ox to decide whether to cooperate with the farmer or to resist and cause itself harm. Saul was zealously persecuting Jesus' followers. He approved of Stephen being stoned to death back in Acts chapter 8. I'd like us to pause here for a moment, please, and just imagine how much Saul's behaviour was hurting God. Try to imagine the level of pain God experienced as Saul went from city to city, hell-bent on getting every single follower of Jesus thrown into prison and voting for them to be killed. And yet we see here in verse 14 a question from Jesus, why do you persecute me? Followed by a statement, it is hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads or to rebel against me. There is no condemnation from God, only a question prompting Saul to search his motives and a statement of how hard Saul is making life for himself. I find that amazing. It's one of those times in the Bible that you realise the Trinity's perfect character. Unlike us, God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit have no ego that needs stroking. Also unlike us, they never feel a need to become personally defensive. Each member of the Trinity is so perfect as to constantly be other-centred. 
God was for Saul, even in his sin. And God is for you and me, even in our sin. Leading up to my salvation, like I said before, like Saul, I was unknowingly kicking against the goads. Saul was doing this by persecuting Christians, while I was kicking against the goads by hanging on to unforgiveness towards a loved one. I was blind, like Saul, to the fact that I was hurting myself. Then, like Saul, Jesus encountered me. This is the second parallel between my salvations and Saul's in which God changed our lives. God made me aware of my sin and he gave me the opportunity to repent of it. Then his spirit worked within me, enabling me to forgive. By forgiving, I was releasing what had never been mine to hold in the first place. I had never been ordained as this person's judge. It had never been my place to hold their sin against them. Forgiving is not forgetting. It's releasing the other person to God. When I forgive someone in Jesus' name, I'm bringing myself into submission with God. Jesus' death at the cross sets me free from the bondage of sin. Like Saul's encounter with Jesus, Jesus' encounter with me was initiated by him. The couple who I was with when I was saved were complete strangers to me. I had never met them before. I wasn't at a Christian event. There was no way they could have been aware of my personal story. And yet I found out afterwards that the woman's story leading up to her salvation was the same as my own. God had gone before us both and brought us together at that moment in time for the very purpose of saving me. And like Saul, the consequences of my salvation were profound. I experienced release. There was an awareness of having come home, of belonging, a realisation that what had happened was supernatural. This quote from Tozer explained by experience. He says, One quality of the Holy Spirit is penetrability. He can penetrate mind. He can penetrate another spirit, such as the human spirit. He can achieve complete penetration of and actual intermingling with the human spirit. He can invade the human heart and make room for himself without expelling anything essentially human. The integrity of the human personality remains unimpaired. Only moral evil is forced to withdraw. And this brings us to the third and final parallel between Paul's experience and my own. And that is, 
my life was subsequently changed. The words in the Bible came alive to me. I couldn't get enough of it. God's promises, like me being a brand new creation and him having prepared in advance good works for me to do, started to become my lived reality. Like Paul, after he was saved earlier in the book of Acts, I was still just an ordinary person, but God's spirit was now dwelling in me. It didn't mean that there weren't still struggles and pain and heartache, but the difference was that I could face every struggle knowing that I was God's child with his presence in me. Like Paul, my life took on eternal purpose. The remainder of our passage today focuses on Jesus telling Saul why he was being saved. And like Freddie said to us in his sermon a few weeks ago, we are saved for a purpose. Jesus told Saul that he would be a witness to what he had seen and would see. God moves through each one of his children to give testimony of himself in different ways. For me personally, one of his callings has been to come alongside younger Christians and encourage them in their walk with him. In conclusion this morning, there are three questions that I'd like to ask as we wrap up our series today. The first one is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Do you know that you are God's child? Everybody's salvation experiences are unique. Not everybody has a profound experience and that's okay. It doesn't mean that salvation is in any way less genuine for them. But if you're not 100% sure that you are his child, could you contact us today or talk with someone who you know is, please? You can contact us by sending an email to prayer at riverschurch.com. That's prayer, P-R-A-Y-E-R, at riverschurch.com. We will respond to you today. I can honestly say from my own personal experience that this is the most important decision you can ever make in your life. And for those of us who are his children, is Jesus making you aware of an area in which you are kicking against the goads today? It might not be persecuting other Christians as it was for Saul, or it might be. It might not be holding on to unforgiveness as it was for me. But is there something you're hanging on to that needs to be surrendered to him today? And my final question is, do we have enough close relationships with others for personal accountability? Remember, neither Saul nor I were even aware that we were doing the wrong thing. God moved through a Christian person to bring me awareness. 
let's not be too proud, busy or lazy to neglect close connections with others who we trust. Can we pray together to finish, please? Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with each one of us now. If there's anyone watching today who's not yet your child, Father, would you move them to contact someone to talk about it today, please? And for those of us who are your children, please make us aware of any area in which we're kicking against the goads, Lord, and enable us to surrender it to you today. In Jesus' name, we're asking these things. Amen.